welcome to Troll Black TV's weekly podcast where we feature the world's most extreme athletes. This week, we're proud to introduce Adam Mundra, who is currently the undisputed world champion in the sport of rock climbing. Not only has Adam won both the lead and bouldering disciplines in the World Cup, something that has never been done before, Adam is the only person to climb all the world's 9B pluses, which for those not familiar with his former grading is 515C. And what's equally impressive is the number of on-sites. To date, Adam has on-sited more than 50. <laughs> yes, you heard that number right. More than 58 Cs, which is 514B. And on-sited three 9As, which is 514D. <laughs> Mind-blowing, right? And if that's not enough, just to prove that he could duplicate his skills on any rock in the world, Adam climbed the most difficult big wall free climbs in Yosemite Valley, sending Don Wall, considered the hardest big wall in the world, rate 9A or 514D, in just eight days. And that's after doing the nodes almost entirely free in a single day. So you can imagine how excited I was to catch up with Adam in Norway, who was waiting out the rain in the monster cave in Flatanger. Please excuse our reception as it drifts in and out. You know how cell phones can be. But if you hang with it, you're in for an extraordinary treat as Adam shares what I believe to be the key to his superhuman strength, both mentally and physically, as he describes his new route, Project Hard, which could very well be the world's first 9C or 515D. Adam, welcome to our show. Hey, Adam. Dan Goodwin here with Tropa TV. How are you? Good, good. Here in Flatanga, rainy rest day. <laughs> but <laughs> the weather won't go, that it will be good. So, <laughs> all perfect. Yeah, so if it's raining there, are you still able to climb? Um, yeah, it depends on the, on the wind and humidity. Sometimes when it's raining, it's actually very good to climb. And sometimes the sun is shining and it's really bad. <laughs> so... Yeah, when it's the sun comes out, it's good condition. <laughs> yeah, rumor has it you're working on another route as we speak. So I'm working on this uh, project hard, <laughs> which is a project that I've already tried last year, that I've already put, like, I don't know, five weeks of effort into it. And I know it's a very tricky route, and it's very hard to say how actually close I'm getting into it. I've had some really frustrating days this trip. We've only been here four days, so, but, I mean, I'm not even, I'm not even trying from the ground yet. There is like a first part, which is only AB, 13D, up to an underclink, and from there, there is a crux one, which is at least 80 boulders. So I'm only just keeping, just, just jugging up, up to the, the point where the crux one starts and just trying to link it from there to the top, which is 9B plus on itself. And linking from the ground would be a 9C. So right now the goal is to finally do this 9B plus link, and then I can move on. But then the crux one is so intricate, so tricky, so weird, and comes down to so many uh, tiny details that I keep falling off, and I'm not actually sure if it's just because I'm not strong enough or if I'm doing something wrong, which can be that I have the wrong shoe or my skin not the pinky in the single lock is not perfect and stuff like this. So it's uh, it's a process that requires a lot of patience, but it's part of the game. The 
sequence is so cool. And, you know, the feeling when the Crux 1, like, works is just perfect because it feels just effortless no matter how heinously hard it is. <laughs> and taking it from the ground will be a totally different story. But I, I'm still patient. Let's see what happens. <laughs> how does that uh, route compare to change? Compared to change? Yeah, how would you compare it? Mm. I mean, for me, it's just so, so, so much harder. The ridiculousness of this route is that the Crux 1 itself is possibly the hardest boulder problem that I've ever done. And it's like up there in the middle of the cave. <laughs> and it's like you have some climbing up to there and some climbing from there, whereas the boulder problem and change is it's way easier for me compared to the project hard. And the climbing is above is comparable. Project hard is at the same time much shorter. It's maybe 40 meters, but you know, the first 8B, which is maybe 25 meters, I have it so wired that I really just run through, through that part. And then the real need of the route is actually pretty short. It's not more than 50 meters. So do you think it's like a 9C or 9C plus? It's definitely not 9C plus, but I'm hoping that it could be the world's first 9C. But then the question is when I'm going to send it. <laughs> and as I said, it's a, it's a route where it's so, so hard to predict it. And I know I might send it this season, but I might send it in 10 years. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea at this point how much patience and work it will require yet. <laughs> That's amazing, man. You know, one of the things that most of us who aren't climbing at that level, which is the majority of the planet, is how do you distinguish the difference between like a, a 9B and a 9B plus, or in this case, a 9C? It seems like, you know, when you get down the lower grades, the difference isn't that great, but it seems like when you get into the 9B, 9B plus, now 9C, um, that each little incre each increment, like just going from 9B to 9B plus, seems to be monumental. Why do you think that's so, and it's yes. not quite so extreme with the lower grades? I, I think the higher in, in the grading scale you go, the more specific the climbing gets. So, and you have to bear in mind when you put the grade. So, in order to make it at least a little bit relevant or as precise as possible, my point of view is that the gaps between 9B and 9B plus and 9B plus and 9C has to be like really big, really significant, because then we would be just all the time arguing about if this is 9B plus or 9C. At the moment, um, like just in between, within the 9B range, there are just huge differences. There are 9Bs that I think, I've never done a 9B in a day, but I think Finding a perfect route, which is like a low-end 9B, I think I can do a 9B low-end in one day. And wow. higher, higher-end 9B, I think I can do in, let's say, four or five days. If I imagine that change or la dura dura, I think I would need a little longer, but still, we wouldn't be talking about, like, 
back in the day when I did other run run, I spent nine weeks on it. I think if I went back into the route, it would not take me that long to maybe reclimb it again. I'm not really motivated to do it, but I think it would not take me that long, for, for sure, not nine weeks. But if we are talking about the project hard, I also consider and bear in mind that it, there are certain moves that really fit my style. They are very, such as this huge drop knee uh, when I turn around, put the toe jam, do a couple of moves, and then I do this huge drop knee, which in the end, even after spending days and days trying to find the perfect data, that remains like the only data possible in my mind. And for example, that is a move which I think is mm, very hard for, for, it's very hard for me, even though it's 100% my style and drop knees are my specialties and something I've been using started climbing and I've always really, really liked. So this is something that I also consider that this really adds the confirmation that this could be the world 9C. And yeah, it just feels much, much harder. But at the same time, I think we are able to create uh, perfectly within the re within our like maximum grade at that moment. So if somebody's maximum grade is seven A, then he's very well he's very well capable of recognizing this seven A, sixty plus and six sixty. And I have this level around this nine B, nine C, so I I hope I can recognize pretty well what is nine B, what is nine B plus, what is nine C. I hope. But I'm not really capable of recognizing sixty plus from seven A because it's just way too easy for me. <laughs> you know, we notice that even in the climbing gyms, it seems like the route setters uh, have a real hard time on easier routes. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think we'll ever see a 10A? Mm. Honestly, I can, I can imagine a 9C. I can even imagine climbing it. I can't imagine 9C plus like how hard it would have to be. A 10A, maybe yes, but it will take a few years for sure. Um, and we can see on the progressions, like in the last, how many years? 20, first 9A was put up 25 years ago. And since then we only surpassed three grades up to 9B plus. And I think, that the progression will be even slower, and especially if we really want to make significant gaps in between the grades, in between the benchmark for for that those grades, and I think that, in my opinion, is is correct. So I think maybe in 34 years we might see a 10A. I would like to see that once, <laughs> but let's see. It will be really exciting, maybe in 30, 40 years, we will see somebody <laughs> on site exchange and stuff like this. That would be really, really radical. <laughs> you know, and that person that we interview and that person will be you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's pretty funny. I think 25 years ago, it just looked equally impossible to ever on site the night 
So we can't really know how much progression there will be. For sure, yeah. there are there are many ways now to like make the climbing training much more efficient and and just like the recent months are kind of eye-opening for sure. How much maybe physiotherapy could, could help in climbing? I think that is something that has been neglected so far, especially in terms of not really like injury prevention, but really using physiotherapy as a training tool in order to make the climbing movements much more efficient. How do you incorporate it? Uh, yeah, for example, on the last trip I was here in Fatanger with the physiotherapist and he watched me trying Project Hard and he made certain suggestions like moving hips in a little different different way. And I must say that those things are those tiny details which while working on the route on my own, I would already find out, but the physiotherapist, uh, he's uh, Klaus Tidell, he's from Austria. He's actually a physiotherapist of the Austrian national team. So he could see me at the project and make suggestions and even like make, we made a specific exercise for the project heart, which helped me, you know, just, I tried to replicate uh, in my climbing gym, uh, those moves on the wall, but at the same time, I need like a special, yeah, a special muscle, uh, like at the side of my, uh, uh, of my trunk, um, for the project heart. So he came up with the exercises and I mean, I think it's working fine. And this is, I think, something that has never been done yet in, in, in the climbing. For sure, building replicas and stuff like this—that's quite awesome. Well, but you know, we we I used to do the same thing years ago with like for cracks, for example. We used to build these wooden mm -hmm. cra crack machines, and that's how we practiced for cracks. Yeah. And and we saw the evolution of climbing happening way back then because we could train for particular kind of climbs, and we would duplicate the the widths of the boards to the crack mm -hmm. we were going to climb. And now we're watching. It happened again, but it's happening at a much higher level uh, in, in climbing gyms. And it's just really cool to watch mm -hmm. how you du duplicate the moves, like for change, when you did that, that up, contorted upside-down move. That was just amazing. <laughs> at the same time, because it's so weird and so specific, it's hard to give it a grade and hard to, like, see if, if it's really hard or if it's, or if it's just weird or if I'm doing something wrong and that kind of presses me out but still I'm hoping that my data is correct <laughs> I guess. but at the same time the project card on the Crux 1 this AC boulder problem is so weird so something that I have never done anywhere else uh, that makes me wonder at the same time if I had been climbing in this ball all my life maybe the project would have been so much easier because, you know, the regular limestone climbing, which is something that where I started climbing and where I spent most of the, my climbing career, is just mostly straightforward pulling from crimps and sometimes some cycles, sometimes some underclips. But this is totally radical. So I definitely see a lot of progression.
of months of specific training. I, I feel pretty fit in general, but I feel e even fitter for this very specific kind of climbing. Um, but at the same time, there is really nobody who, who would be climbing for the most of the time on this kind of really weird stuff. So... Yeah, and and the same to be true for your visit to the United States when you went to Yosemite Valley and climbed Don Wall. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had never been to Yosemite, and you know, as you said, that you were just a complete novice on that. You came to the United States with this major lofty goal of not just doing Don Wall, but doing the nose a day, which you did, but. I, Mm -hmm. What made you What made you think that you could come and, and climb at that level on rock that was so dramatically different than what you used to climb it? I was confident that I could rock climb on any kind of rock. Even though I spent most of my climbing career on the limestone, as I said, nevertheless, I spent a lot of time on many different kinds of rock all over Europe. For example, which is really special is sandstone and uh, in my country, Czech, uh, uh, in the Czech Republic. Um, that, for example, taught me a lot, taught me how to climb on a big runouts and taught me how to feel the rock and stuff like this. So, in the end, in any climbing era where I had been before Yosemite, I felt, after a couple of days, pretty confident climbing on any kind of rock, any kind of steepness, any kind of angle, and stuff like this. So I was definitely expecting Yosemite to be different, to be very hard for the climbing, if you don't know it. But um, I must say that I underestimated how, let's say, super specific, super weird it was, especially mm -hmm. for the footwork. I have never experienced anything like that. Like what I normally would consider to be like a, a really, really bad foothold is actually like a junk foothold on the dollar wall. And what are the cracks footholds, I would never even like bother watching normally. <laughs> but there is like, that's what you have. You have to use that. And it, it wasn't easy. After, let's say, three weeks, I was starting to feel confident on the days when I actually did the crux pitches. But before, I must say that in my point of view, I was definitely getting my ass kicked. Like, I just <laughs> did not trust my feet at all. At all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said it was as hard as you expected, but it took longer than you expected. How long did you think Don uh, was going to take you? I don't know. I was maybe... Maybe my plan was to like work it even better and maybe try to do the whole ascent a little faster. But then as I could see that I'm just like the crux pitches are so hard and I have to be well rested, perfect skin, perfect condition, that in order to increase the chance of standing, uh, the goal of climbing is like, let's say three days, just too ambitious. And I had to like step down and focus on climbing it, taking a bit more days. Because I could see the, you know, what I was quite worried about is like, 
more like the logistics of the big walls and like relying on gear and maybe being scared from the runouts and stuff like this. And in the end, this did not turn out to be a problem at all on the dollar wall. The real problem is the climbing. <laughs> the climbing. Because the climbing is just so hard. <laughs> well, you had a couple of copperheads rip out on you, didn't you, when you fell a couple times? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did that play with your head? I mean, did that become a, a little bit of a fear factor, trusting um, the gear? I think I was not really scared of taking those falls because at least on the harder pitches, you might be facing pretty big falls if you rip some gear, but the fall would be kind of safe. What, what I was really afraid about that once I ripped those copper hats, if I would like to give it another try, those copper hats would be messing, and I would just have to make a big run out in between them because we didn't have any copper hats in there to replace myself. That was my biggest worry, I have to be honest. <laughs> Did you feel the pressure like the whole world was watching? Definitely on the track 14 on the day four, yes, I did feel a lot. Because <laughs> maybe it was also that I might have been a bit too ambitious and people ex and then there were some people that might not know Yosemite and they were thinking, yeah, yeah, and you He's so good, he will crush it. And then there were like these Yosemite, the people that know Yosemite climbing, that they know how very, very specific um, it was. Um, they might have been even, let, let's say, not really believing in, my, in me that I could actually do it as a total novice to Yosemite climbing. So <laughs> after a couple of weeks on a, on a wall when I actually found out that I might have underestimated the whole challenge, I could feel the pressure on it as well. And it was really hard to to focus on myself. And, you know, if if up, if the wall was somewhere in the wilderness with no internet connection and stuff, it would have been a bit easier to, to focus on the climbing. How do you deal with the pressures? I mean... It's hard, and I totally failed on the day four. And even though on day five, I think like recently the pressure was even higher. But somehow, right before climbing, I managed to calm myself down and make one really, really good try, which made me climb pitch 40 almost effortlessly. But that's the that's character of the Yosemite climbing. You either don't do it or you do it pretty hard. If you don't make any mistakes, if you're super precise and correct. Were you at all concerned that you wouldn't be able to do the route? For sure. Uh, I was watching a lot weather forecast and I knew if I wouldn't do it on day five and if I even make a cut to my skin, that would be very, very problematic. Better forecast was not that great and we could see that we wouldn't have like a, another 10 days of perfect weather to stay up on the wall. And so the pressure was, was big to, to send it on day five. Yeah, I can only imagine. And now that you captured the second ascent, becoming the only person to lead every pitch, which is 
pretty impressive, man. Do you have any desires to come back and see if you can do Don Wall in a day? I don't know. Uh, I would definitely love to come back to Yosemite. I'm not saying this season, maybe not even next season, but one day the place is just mind-blowing. And the potential on DL Cap is just something that I would like to exploit a bit more. And then the question is, if, um, besides climbing from the classics, which I would love to, like, sell up there, and maybe climbing to those again, three, I would be really, really uh, interested. But then, in terms of, like, finding some big project, if it would be the objective of making, of doing Dawnwalk in a day, or trying to free climb some other new aid line, um, that's the question. I can't really say what I get more respect for. Maybe the perspective of finding something new and trying to free climb that is more appealing, but I can't really tell. I think that would be super cool. Come to your Yosemite and, and put up a brand new route. <laughs> Just free some aid climb that's been looked at for years. Yeah, yeah. I think I could definitely, as I the the approach would be climbing more classic on El Cap to see how the rock is and with this I think I could after having some experience on El Cap I could predict much better if from the ground if the if the eight climb actually goes or not because after yes. having climbed only one route or two routes on El Cap if I look for example to the right of the dawn it looks amazing, but I have no clue with my experience. And, of course, it's impossible, even with a lot of experience, experience like Tommy Caldwell has, to, like, really know if that time actually goes or not. But you can decrease the chance that, that you will end up fighting the person. Yeah, uh, switching gears to Alex Hunnell, who, as you know, free solo, mm-hmm. free rider without a rope. You said, and I quote, it takes tremendous courage to free solo a free rider. From my point of view, it's easier to solo a 9A, 14D, short mm-hmm. route than, than this one. Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> have, have you, have uh, you ever free soloed? Me? No, I've never free soloed, and I'm not really interested in it. For me, it's just too much risk. For sure, I take certain amount of risk while I climb. I definitely took some risk up on a door wall, but it was also always like something I was willing to take and I accepted it. Free solo is something that is the risk that I don't want to accept because for me, the price you pay for it is just way too high. But I totally understand that uh, for Alex, it's uh, it's worth doing. Feeling being 500 meters above the ground and the free rider must be absolutely tremendous. And free soloing <laughs> on El Cap in Yosemite, uh, for me, it's so hard, so unimaginable, just because the character of the climbing. I can Im- I can imagine that I would work out one 9A sports route. So I would be able to climb it really confidently. And um, on those routes, if you climb safe, 
slow. And if if I would have enough margin, I think I could control the potential slip of my feet or hands much better. Whereas in general in Yosemite, especially on the slabs of the lower part of Freerider, I have never done it, but I can imagine how it can be. There are some bars on the nose which the pitches are easy, but I would definitely never want to solo it because solo it because it's just really flat and all you have to rely are some really, really tiny and slick footholds. And for me, it's just horrible to rely on one single foot placement and you can't pro- control it with the power anyhow. And like to have the courage and to really, or at the same time, experience of really trusting those tiny footholds is just incredible. And also, I have, as I said, I have never really done, I have never even tried Freerider, but I can imagine that if you link all those pitches into one continuous push on the, on the free solo without hanging in the melees, the whole route actually gets quite a bit harder in terms yeah. of endurance, you know? And, 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 <laughs> and this and is just, something that I think is not really emphasized, that the route is actually much harder if you don't hang in a beach. <laughs> the level of fitness is <laughs> astonishing. Yeah. To do that many pitches. So, for example, that, for me, yeah. for me, uh, potentially, free uh, uh, like the wall wall, I, I doubt somebody will ever do it, but the real rate of freestyling the dawn wall would be, I don't know, 90 plus or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because there are not so many ledges and uh, yeah, actually from the pitch five all the way up to pitch 20, there are definitely many no hundreds but there's not even one ledge where you could like really lie down and you have the entrance not only the forearms, but especially the feet would be horrible. Yeah, I can only imagine. You know, you, you also said it's it definitely the biggest thing that's ever happened in the world of free soloing. It's simply unbelievable. We can only discuss where free soloing climbing is good or not, whether we should write about it or yeah. not. Um, I was just curious on your, your thoughts there. Uh, should we be talking about this and about free song like we are? I mean, we uh, Is this a bad influence yeah. on younger climbers or what, what's your thoughts? I don't, I think we should talk about it. It's, uh, even though there are so many climbers that would not even consider freestyling, uh, we should say, hey, Alex, good job. Because he was, he had this dream, he worked hard for it, and we, I don't think we should look at it as something that he was selfish, taking all this incredible risk and going for it. I think for me, it's the courage. Even though I, I'm not willing to to even think about it, I definitely praised Alex for 
yeah, for having his own dreams and pushing for for what he does best. That, that's the free solar. And it's absolutely historical feedback. Definitely still going to be one of the most impressive feats of uh, Yosemite climbing even in 100 years. I totally believe that. The idea of just like seeing this sheer blank face of El Cap and just having your climbing shoes and jog back and climbing up to the top is a bit terrifying. <laughs> 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 I know my and, my, my palms start sweating thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. At the most natural way how to actually climb it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It, you know, what do you think is when you look at your impressive tick list, I mean you've you've climbed thousands of routes. <laughs> you know, I mean like mm-hmm. I, I look at your list of you know, I'm looking at right now of how many you know, eight A's you've done, and and when I look at mm-hmm. my God, oh my God, you've like on-sided like fifty eight C's, um, which for those who are in the ratings as a fourteen B, it's just mind-boggling. I mean, what do you think is the key to your success here? Why are you able to do what very few people in the world can do? I don't know. I'm spending a lot of time on rock and in many different climbing areas and. Especially when I was younger, I had not really invested so much time into working one single route, but just doing like a good base on in different climbing areas, on different rocks, in different grades. And not only that, I because I thought that it would be good training, that it would push my skills higher, that I would get a better climber. Uh, but also because I was having the most fun doing this. Mm-hmm. Right now, for example, yes, I do spend this incredible amount of time on the project hard, but because I like it too, it, it's my challenge to, to have something so wired that I actually feel that I'm floating up the route. But um, in general, I enjoy it a lot too climbing everywhere, everything. It is, it is how, what, what, how this approach at the same time is, for example, what I think that helped me to climb the door wall. Because if I only focus on the competition, if I only just focus on climbing 9A in the overhanging limestone areas like Spain, I would not have this experience to learn how to climb on the specific rock in the Yosemite. Mm-hmm. Even though the Yosemite climbing is so specific, still, like for example, experience on our Czech sandstone helped me a lot. And I think maybe some climbing, some moves on the wall will in the future help me even on the climbing competitions, even in the world championships. Like, I think everything is good for everything because even on, like, super steep route, you can have a top out in a slab and vice versa. The more I climb, the more I know that the climbing is not only about the, like, having the fitness level, but mostly knowing how to climb. And I think you get to know how to climb the best if you just climb, climb, climb a lot and climb everywhere.
That is the key, isn't it? Climb a lot and climb everywhere. For sure, some coaches, some climbers would argue with me, but maybe then if you really want to push certain climbing styles, you should really focus on that. But every, especially young climber, should have the space that you can build on. How, how much do you spend training? Uh, are you primarily working on fingerboard, campus board training, or what does your training look like these days? These days, I think my training, I train six days a week, usually four or five days, uh, four or five hours a day. And like 60% is the climbing itself. The climbing for, mm, the climbing training is usually only on the bouldering wall, and I train their bouldering as well as endurance training, just doing circuits. And besides that, I do some campus board training and then some general fitness exercises. What I think is the most important is uh, not that you train certain number of hours or that you climb number of problems or routes on that training occasion on that training unit, but the ability of really giving 100%, to climb with the 100% psych and to the same motivation that everybody should have when you're trying a route on your maximum level, even if it's only training, you should climb with the same psych, with the same motivation to do at least one move more. And that is difficult. That is very difficult psychologically, and it takes a lot of psychological energy. But I think that is really what really makes difference if you want to make progression or not. Training five hours a day, if you don't give it 100%, it's not that hard, I think. But it is very hard if you really do it right. Even if I'm tired, even if I don't feel like I want to train because it's 40 degrees outside and I'm sweating as hell. Still, even at that moment, knowing that I gave it 100% makes me like happy about my training. That's awesome. Yeah, you're the only person that's won both the bouldering and the lead in the World Cup. Do you have any desires to uh, compete in the Olympics coming up? Right now, I'm not that motivated on the competition, but as the Olympics are approaching, I think the year before, I would love to do the whole workup circuit in lead at Boulder again. But I feel I'm enjoying the competition, but at the same time, for me, it's only a sport. It, there's only this like performance aspect. Like, training hard for it, it makes me really motivated that then I go to the competitions and I really want to make the best performance possible. But for me, climbing is not only the sport aspect is not only the challenge, but I just love to stay outside. I love to travel. Yeah, just staying out with friends in the climbing crack is, is like makes me fully happy, let's say. And that's why for me, it's absolutely impossible to imagine myself like doing 10 years of just competition climbing and doing rock climbing just between the breaks in the comps. <laughs> I really admire the people that are willing to do it, but for me, it's just impossible. Yeah, what do you
do you, what do you think of the format of incorporating speed climbing with it? I think speed climbing has nothing to do with this core philosophy of climbing. Like climbing, just climbing. What I don't like about current speed climbing is that it's only this one standard route that you train in, train in, train in, train in, and then you go on the competitions and the route is still the same. I like about speed climbing that bouldering is every time different and you don't actually know how to train 100% because you don't know how the route will be, what the holds will be like, and it's, it's about creativity. You have to figure out what's the easiest way possible. Uh, I don't really find that in, in, in speed. And at the same time, for me, climbing is everybody has its own style. The, the factor how fast you climb the route should not be incorporated in the results, in my point of view. Just because somebody climbs slower does not mean that he's a worse climber. And that's, so nowadays, for example, they have the six-minute rule in for the final on the lead World Cup, and I think that is really, really, really wrong. And that really makes a big disadvantage for the climbers uh, that just have different styles. They climb slower, but I think that's the beauty of climbing. Everybody has a style. And... Yeah, your style is so much different. You climb with speed. That's why it's so interesting to talk about, listen to yeah. you about speed climbing, because you climb with just, you're probably the fastest climber I've ever seen climb. It's just amazing to watch and how precise you are with your feet and your clips and everything. It's like, bam, 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 bam. Is that intentional? Uh, are you climbing because you're that speed because you're trying to race the pump, or are you climbing that fast because mm -hmm. you're you, you know that momentum will help propel you up the cliff? It's both. Definitely, I know that the momentum helps a lot, and I know the faster I go, the less pumped I will get. And then maybe trying to shake out a little bit in the places which where I found slightly better holes and stop there and. Basically, like climbing fast in between the rest, and then take a couple of shake outs in the rest. That, that's my style in general, and that's the fast style that I developed since I was a kid. And I really focused my training on, on that, and I think that's why, for me, for my kind of body, for my kind of strengths and weaknesses, this is the most efficient way how to climb. But well, I don't really say that it would be the best for everybody because everybody has its strengths and weaknesses. For, mm -hmm. for example, um, my weakness is the ability to rest on the bad holes compared, well, for sure, compared to uh, a climber who climbs 8A, my ability to rest on the bad holes is very good. But compared to other World Cup climbers, my ability to rest on the bad holes is it's bad. <laughs> and it's something that I know just physiologically I will never ever be that good on resting on a bad hole like them. So I had to work on this climbing style to just try to climb as fast as possible through through the sections which has very bad rest and only take some rest in in the rest which are good enough for me. Yeah, I, 
I really think you're on to something because a lot of us are actually kind of mimicking your style a little bit, and we're noticing it actually does work. Um, and the other thing we've noticed is that, you know, a lot of the holes, you're not meant, and this is why I try to inspire with people who just get into climbing, so they will grab a lousy hold and they'll hang on it. And we try to tell them, don't yeah. hang on the hold, move through the hole, just move through it. And when you climb faster, like you climb, it makes it so much easier because you're just moving, 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 and you're never really hanging on the hole for that long of a time. So it works. I mean, it's about climbing and not hanging on the hole. <laughs> well said. That, that, that's my stress. But yeah, at the you, same time, I think for so many climbers that are like naturally slow, and naturally has very good capability of like hanging and resting for the holes. It might not even be efficient, like trying to change their style too much. Yeah, it's hard. At the same time, I think I'm very open-minded when it comes to like my climbing style. And I always try to think about potential improvement, and I and I try a lot. Try like in the training, I might climb a certain route, like four times than trying to climb a different style and then I try to realize like what felt more efficient what and I think that's very, very important in climbing to to have this open mind. To be open yeah. for the new moves, new beta, new style. Yeah, you made you have a quote that I really like. It says I climb my best when I feel more like a robot. I feel that my brain is somewhere totally else and my moves are somehow driven by intuition or experience. Uh, I thought that really described climbing so well for you. I mean, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so I think the psychological mode when I climb, when I climb my heart and truth is very, very important because if there is the ratio, if there are, there's the mind, there's usually also some doubt and fear included and those things are definitely not our friends. They're our enemies. They don't help us to climb better at all. They only uh, make us climb worse. So we have to like be rational before we climb, try to get the best data or when we work on the route, but when we actually give it a try, we have to switch off and we have to climb according to either the beta that we also already have it worked and it has to come naturally. And in certain ways, it definitely feels like being a robot. I even feel this while on-siding because in on-siding, there are so many different decisions that I have to make. You have to decide when to clip, which handhold, which hold to grab. You have to decide whether now it's a good time to rest or now it's a good time to move on and climb a bit faster until you reach another rest and stuff like this. And I definitely can't do so many things rationally, but my intuition, my experience can do that. And that's why I rather leave it on my intuition. But that's a psychological mode, which is very, very hard to get into it. And 100% getting into the psychological mode, I only succeed a couple of times a year. And then there are many times when I'm actually 
pretty close to being in the psychological mode, but the real 100% robot mode is, is very rare, even for me to, to get into it. Because I don't have any trick how to get into it. It just somehow has to come. It helps definitely like to visualize the route uh, before I go climbing and stuff like this, but yeah, it just has to come naturally, pretty much. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, when when you look back in your climbing career, uh, what climbers, which climbers, I should say, uh, have influenced you the most? As a tr- as an idol, um, let's say it was definitely Wolfgang Gillig, the guy that made the world first. 9A percent action direct. Uh, unfortunately, I was never able to meet him. Then it was Thomas Brasek. He's the uh, world champion from 2001 to 2003. He's from the same uh, from the same city, from Czech Republic, from Brno as as me. And he just like got world famous when I was kind of getting into the climbing, so that was really big motivation. And then, well, there are definitely uh, many, many people, but I think also a guy that influenced me a lot is uh, Tomáš Pilka. He's also from Czech Republic. He's the guy that started climbing with my dad, and he's pretty much like the Czech climbing legend. He put up the local hardest routes in the 80s and 90s, and he is climbing in the uh, I think I learned a lot watching him climbing in that climbing area. When did Chris Sharma come on your radar screen? Oh, for sure. Like, even when I was realizing, first sense of realization is from 2001, so I watched the video pretty much back then, and I was eight years old. So I definitely uh, knew Chris Sharma already back then. But we first met when I was 14, so I think that was 2008 or 2007 in Santa Lina. And I definitely saw him as a, and see him as a pioneer of, of really high-end climbing and the number of routes that he put up is, is definitely impressive. And I had so much fun trying this perfect route, especially in Catalonia. Yeah, la dura dura. That, that must have been uh, hard in some ways. Uh, here you are training with this guy that you were only eight years old when he came on the radar screen. And here, you are cli- and here you are climbing with him, and you end up getting the route before him. Um, what was that like for you? Um, it was very good. I think the the fact that we were working on it together helped a lot in so many in so many different ways. And when I finally made the first step, I was really really hoping that Chris would do the route as well, and he did one month later, and that was. Uh, really satisfying for me as well, honestly, because as we both put so much effort into it, I kind of felt like we both 
that there's uh, and I'm super happy that he resisted that he had the motivation just to keep trying uh, even though he was only only going for the second ascent that he kept trying and eventually did it yeah that was impressive because uh, a lot of people were just given up and said screw it because mm. um, they didn't get yeah. first ascent <laughs> You know what I mean? So, um, who do you think will be the next superstar? Next superstar? Mm. <laughs> I mean, Other than you, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Megos is definitely really, really strong. Uh, but it's just like there are so many, like, for the, for the girls, there are, there's more girls that are about to be super, super strong than, than boys. <laughs> I think, like, in, if we are talking about age 14, 15, I think girls in general climb almost stronger than the boys. So, like, Ashima or Laura Rogora or, or Yanya, who is Yanya Garbet, who is a little bit older, they, they are just climbing impressively. And they, they are pretty much, they're definitely the strongest. Uh, women in the world, but I don't really see that much uh, in the boys category. Interesting. I think the secret is out that the girls realize that they can climb as hard if not harder than the guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're putting it's everybody on nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think in, in certain class, they... They might be in the future climbing harder, but if I nowadays if I think about all the time we buses and time be, most of them are pretty reachy. So it's it's definitely hard to climb most of these routes if you are only like 160 centimeters up. I'm not sure how much it is, but mm -hmm. yeah, strangely yeah. enough, the harder route. The I do the more reaching they get, but maybe we so far the rock roots have been put up quite a bit. But I, I definitely agree that it will not happen. Uh, it will happen pretty soon that we will see the first female to climb world's first might be, which yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a, the pleasure of interviewing Steve McClure, who had just put up Rain Man, a 9B. Yeah. And, you know, you, a number of years ago, went did Overshadow and confirmed the rating of uh, 9A+, plus, I believe it was. Yeah. Are you planning on going back to the Rain Man? The Rain Man? Definitely. Like, the route, I've already seen Steve trying it uh, a few years ago. It motivates me to come back, also because it's a really nice place, it's a nice climbing, and I really have to say hats off to Steve for for having this persistence and motivation to uh, do it. Super, okay, super man. impressive. Seven years you worked on that run, he's 46 years old. Yeah. I mean, he's still crushing. <laughs> Yeah, my God. It's like he's getting stronger. <laughs> I know, I know. I asked him, I said, so uh, 
Where do you think you'll be when you're 50? And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> he could be climbing out <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's going to give you hope, uh, seeing strong men like him still climbing so hard, you know, actually climbing yeah. the hardest he's ever climbed in his life. Um, you know, when he was your age, he wasn't climbing at that level. Um, so imagine where you can be at his age. I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. You talk about that span that it made, you know, how long it took to go from 9A to 9B+. plus. Well, you, you, you're going to have that period of time, and it, it should be interesting to see if maybe you're at his age doing the world's first 10A. <laughs> um, I don't really find it that probable because I think, as I have been already focusing on sport climbing for so many years, I don't think I can climb my hardest route ever aged 45. I think if, for example, Steve, I think I might be wrong, but he only just focused started focusing more on sport climbing when he was 24 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it took him, let's say, 20 years to reach his uh, hardest uh, sport climb ever. But if he started with sport climbing 10 years earlier, I think he would have already done that some years ago. <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong. No, you might be right. Might but be I think right. just, the fact, just the fact that I focused on sport climbing since I was five years old gives me a less probability, less chance that I could climb my harder route, my hardest route after uh, 35 or something like that. Ten years to, to improve in sport climbing. <laughs> I'm sure you got more than that. I'm sure you have more than that. Yeah, I know when you go, uh, you could probably have a massive crowd. Uh, they'll probably all want to see if you can onsite it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not going to be sure because uh, I've already it, it shared to start with Ray Chitto, which is Friday, and I've already done that. So. Well, right on, man. And, well, finally, what words of inspiration would you like to share with the Triple Black community? I don't know. For me, for me, the most important thing is that I have a happy life and I'm doing 100% what I want. That's like, this is a dream was what I'm doing right now, and that's exactly the, how I dreamed of living when I was six, seven years old. And uh, not so many people are that lucky as me, but still, I think everybody can, besides having their jobs, they should have like one activity that I do, that they do with the, the same passion uh, that I do the climbing with. And it can be climbing, and I think it's very good that, that climbing is the perfect activity, perfect sport, perfect challenge that you can really have the passion for, but can be totally anything else. And for example, that is something that I almost feel responsible for, like motivating uh, people to just live a little happier life. Yeah, it does come down to happiness, doesn't it? I well, think happiness well, is something that is underestimated in our, com- in our community in general. Why do you think that but is? Yeah, it's the biggest. 
why why do I think it is? I think people focus just too much on performance. Not in, not only in sport, but in, in their life in general. Like having a better job, having more education, making more money. But in the end, is it really important in our life? I think the most important is whether we will live it happily or not. And they reach certain goals, like having this job and stuff, and then I will be happy. But when they actually get it, they don't really feel happy anymore, and they already want more. And they are in this vicious circle that they will never get out of. And I think if you actually realize that you are leading happy life, that's a good start. Isn't that the truth? Well, Adam, I can't thank you enough. You truly have been an inspiration to me, and I'm sure the entire planet of rock climbers uh, that will be tuning into this. I, I wish you all the best of luck, and, and may you thank have you. the greatest success on this new route. What do you, what do you call on the route? Have you named it yet? So far, for so far, it's only Project Heart. Project Heart. <laughs> it will have some cover name. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Project Hard. May you, uh, may you crush. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Adam. Take care. Welcome. Bye. Wow. Talk about a wealth of information. I could have continued asking the questions all day long. As Adam said, climbing is not only about power. It's also about the technique. Everybody has to find his or her own way. I may listen to this podcast interview and get something totally different from it than you. Something that really rang true for me, though, was when I asked Adam, what was his secret? Why is he able to do what no other person in the world can do? His answer blew me away. He said, and I quote, what I think is most important is not that you train a certain number of hours or that you have climbed a number of problems or routes on that training occasion or unit, the ability of given 100% to climb with 100% psych, the same motivation that everybody should have when you're trying a route at your maximum level. You may not be able to climb as hard as Adam Hunter, but you can climb with the same conviction that made him one of the world's greatest climbers. And last but not least, something Adam shared with us at the very end. Don't lose sight of what makes you happy. I know we all heard this before, and it's so easy to dismiss because it's such a no-brainer, right? But I believe it's worth reminding ourselves. Don't get lost in the number game. Whether you're judging yourself by the number of routes you've climbed, or the difficulty of the routes, or how much money you make, or what car you drive, or a house you live in. What matters, I mean, really, when you really get down to it, what really matters is whether you're happy. Because in the end, that's all that really does matter. Until next week, my friends, this is Dan Goodwin with Triple TV, your entertainment source for extreme sports.